nothing outside. What is that? Hi. 
Hi, Cindy. Hi. I know Hi, you and doing? Thomas know each other, right, in real life. Yeah. Not just over... yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I've met Thomas uh, quite a few times on some expeditions over there and um, at some of the, at the John Green um, uh, tribute and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. I know her, but uh, she she moves around, and and I don't know about it. I still thought she was on the island. <laughs> yeah, no, I I moved away from the the big city and got into the to the, the nicer part of BC. <laughs> I don't blame you. Good yep. for you. Yeah. And it sounds nice, uh, just kind of sitting out in the middle of the woods. I that's my preferred state most of the time. Yes. Um, just awesome. So now, Cindy, you know, some people may be familiar with um, what happened to you. And when I, when I've watched, you were on um, a couple of different television shows, if I remember right, the um, History Channel, Bigfoot, of the Definitive Guide, and a National Geographic episode. Paranormal, yeah. yeah. Paranormal, okay. And you. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of told your story and they did a little bit of a remake of what happened and I tell you it just oh your encounter story is one that really just freaks me out because you were out there minding your own business and the next thing you know your whole life changed so yeah (laughs) yeah and it just I still get goosebumps when I hear you tell the story because of um you know, just the unexpectedness of it all, it just had to have been life-changing. So if you could kind of bring into focus what where you were at, what was going on, and, and when did this happen? Okay. This happened uh, July, or, um, August 2nd, 2007, and it happened at about mm, 12.30 in the afternoon. It was a, a very gray, overcast day with it had been raining and it's just dark um i live just outside of duncan and i go we had a christmas tree farm that we used to go to every day and down this road that we went past all the time i happened to see some of these um tree anomalies or structures or whatever you want to call them and the funny thing is is that as a Younger, when I was younger, I I took an affinity to looking up weird things, and Bigfoot was one of it. And I found this site in, um, I think it was in Georgia, Georgia Sasquatch or something. And in there, they were showing all these free anomalies, like like the X markers and teepees and stuff like that. And I'm looking at it, and then I realized that the stuff that I noticed on the way from uh, where I live to our farm there was some in the bush and you could see it. So I grabbed my camera and I thought, well, on the way there, I'm going to take some pictures and compare it just because for shits and giggles. Well, I go in there and it's on a deer trail. And, uh, <laughs> anyways, I get in there and I'm taking pictures at this and it's really weird because the trees are woven in through each other and I'm not talking mm. little trees like half an inch round. I'm talking like three inch, four inch trees, like totally sideways, just in and out, in and out behind big other trees, like like somebody had done it, like sewing. 
And I thought that was mm. so odd, like the strengths, right? And um, when I was taking the pictures, I turned around and uh, these two deer came up the trail that I walked in on. And it, and it was so funny because I was not even five feet off this trail. And they both looked at me and their ears were behind them. And they didn't care one iota that I was on uh, standing there. They just ran. They were coming full tilt right behind me and, you know, like something was chasing them. And I just thought it was odd because most deer would stop and go 90 degrees mm-hmm. the opposite direction. So I thought maybe, oh, maybe a cougar or something or a black bear was putting a run on them. And so I quickly deviated off the trail and come out back onto the road just, you know, 20 feet from the trail uh, just to make sure I didn't run into something. And as soon as I jumped off this kind of a bank down into the ditch to the road, there was something on the other side of the road. It had sprayed gravel over top of the road. And when I looked up, all I could see was, uh, it was like a, I thought it was a black bear, to tell you the truth, a big-ass, white-ass black bear, and the back of the head was sort of in the middle of it, like a hump. That's what I thought I seen, and I thought, oh, shit, it's a black bear, and it's got cubs, so I ran down the road. Well, as I'm running down the road, this thing started sounding off, and that was not a black bear. To this day, I've yet to hear another animal replicate that sound, but it's stuck in my head. And this thing is going on like a... And over and over and over, and I could just... I can still hear it, and I just can't figure out what it is. And I'm running down the road, and there's a clearing. There's power lines. And this thing sounded off easily ten times. And I can't think of what the... And, you know, and I'm going, and I'm going, and I finally get past the the power lines, and it's open, so I thought for sure it's going to come out into the opening. And I get across the other side, and I jump behind this big tree because I think if I get out of sight, out of mind, it would stop. I'm thinking this is a black bear, right? She's got cubs up the tree. There's no way she's going to be chasing me that far. Well, all I got is my camera in my hand, so I wrapped it around my my hand like a, in uh, on top of my fist. I thought this is the only thing I got to fight with or defend myself with. And uh, I'm standing there with this camera on my chest and I'm behind this tree. And all of a sudden on the other side of this power line, they've, they've got these tall bushes like um, like some kind of willow with little white flowers. And they're about 10 feet tall. These bushes all of a sudden are bouncing forward and back, forward and back. And I'm looking, peeking around the tree looking. And it's like, what is this? And then all of a sudden it let out another... And I can't see what's pushing the bushes down. And I'm just standing there like I'm going to pee my pants. <laughs> and, and, I mean, I'm so scared. I don't know how, you know, I, I just don't know how scared. You, you, you just freeze within yourself and I'm trying to make myself do something and I can't. And it, it's just like your mind is racing to sort this out, but it can't because nothing's, I've never heard this before. So I quickly waited a couple of minutes, and it seemed like a half an hour or so, and the thing shut up. 
and the bushes stop, and there's no wind, like it's dead calm, and I thought, okay, I'm going to jump back out in the road, and I got to run back the way I can because my vehicle's down there. So I got to run back past this thing. So I go across the road as far as I go, and the thing just started up again. This this yell, scream, roar. And I call it that is because when I got home after all this, I looked it up on the Internet, and I was trying to place some sounds and these animal sounds. And I ended up with something that sounded like the mountain gorilla and the African lion and a grizzly bear. You put those three sounds together in a sentence, and that's what it sounded like. Mm. None of those live on Vancouver Island at all. And uh, this thing is yelling, and I hide behind the tree again, thinking, come on, you got to go, you got to go. And I waited longer, and it shut up. It went quiet again. And uh, finally I jumped back out onto the road. It didn't say anything. I went across the road. And I started hoofing as fast as this granny can run. <laughs> I'm 60 mm-hmm. years old. You don't you don't run in very fast. And this thing, as soon as I'm getting past the power line and the closing, and now the timber's there, and I got to keep going. This thing down below isn't roaring, screaming anymore, but it's busting trees like two by fours, like it's driving a goddamn tank down there. And mm-hmm. and it's quite a drop off. It's about a twenty foot drop off from the road down into this little ravine, and it's down there. And as I'm running, it's probably beside me a hundred feet into the bush, mm-hmm. but it's paralleling me right through until again to my vehicle. And that vehicle was just ahead of the trail that I started on. And this thing just just smashing shit down there it was just unbelievable and I jumped into my van and I ran home and when I got into the house I was snow white and my husband says what's mm. the matter with you and, and I was just in awe and shock I couldn't even hardly tell him I just sort of told him what I was doing and then I told him I said I, I, I think I don't know <laughs> and I, I couldn't for two weeks I couldn't go out to the bush. I, I didn't want to drive by there. I was almost like in, in some mental shock that I just could not digest what happened at all. And uh, when um, I, I sat down and looked up what this sound possibly would be, and I just, it just, I just could not. Even now, I still have problems trying to figure out what happened. Like, what would I have done differently? Mm. Probably nothing. My fear, flight and fight instincts, you know, kicked in. But this, whew, you know, when I think about it, I, it's like a movie in my head. I can see it. I can see what happened. And it was, you know, I dragged my husband out later, two weeks later, said, I have to go and look. I have to go and see what happened there because this doesn't make no sense. And he was, like, with me step by step. We found some broken trees, but not, you know, not as much as it sounded. But when we actually looked at that embankment, I didn't know it was straight down. So whatever Uh. I seen had to have been already descended down this embankment. And it's like an embankment. It's a drop-off. 
it had to have been easily the back of its shoulders and the back of its head. It would have been at least over six feet tall. And I know the bears don't go down the hills on their hind feet. So right. I, I, it just didn't, you know, and it wasn't until a while after that I actually uh, put a thing in, in the BFRO because I was curious enough that I wanted to understand it, but I just wouldn't accept it. I wouldn't accept it because to me it was just like, it's just how lucky would you be the day you go out and take pictures you'd have an, an interaction, right? Right. It, it just, you know. And that was the last thing you were expecting. Well, I wasn't expecting anything. I was just taking pictures of trees because it looked like something on a website that they called Sasquatch. And that's all I was expecting. And nothing more than that. And from that well, day, you, you, oh, you know what? That just it gives me the creeps just knowing yeah. that. So made, when you ran yes. down to the, when you ran down um, and got behind that tree, yeah. About how far do you think that was from where you started a running from? Was? Oh. <laughs> I'm going to say 1,000 yards easily. Easily. So whatever that was followed you down there. I think I interrupted its hunt. Mm -hmm. It's funny because there was more deer trails in there than you could shake a stick with that go up and down this it's like rocky in there so it's like a cliff and when you go up and stand up on this moundy rock thing you can see down almost into that little ravine and the deer seem to go through there and down to get water every night so i think this thing was pushing them up that trail and then down the road not far from the power lines is another trail and it's like a shortcut and we my husband and i had found big x markers in there and stuff so i'm thinking this thing already knew the circumstances he gets the deer to a certain point then he comes around the other way and gets them catches them right it's almost like he was hurting him and i think i intercepted the hunt and i was not supposed to be there so that's what i think now and uh, with the you know i was bound and determined that i cannot let that run my life i wanted to be back out in the woods so I decided that after someone through the BFRO contacted me that they could do expeditions and I could see their, what goes on out there, that I would have a better, you know, resolve with myself. And I tell you, the first three years, I was out in every expedition. I was out all the time. I wanted to know what was going on because I just could not, I could not resolve myself of what happened that day at all. But now, now, yeah, I know what happened that day. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, when you um, <clears throat> when you were there, when all this was actually happening, did mm-hmm. you? Um, I mean, were you, were you feeling complete fear, or were you just bewildered oh. at why? No, I was I was scared. I was really scared because, like, 
all we have is black bear there and cougars that can hurt you. And that just did not come into mind, even though the deer acted like that. That's not what, you know, after I heard this thing yelling, I'm an experienced mm-hmm. hunter. My dad used to take me out as a little kid. And, and it just, I was scared. I was just, I was fucked up. <laughs> but I, yeah. I bet it, so. it, it was just hard to explain because it's not something like if you, you know, some people say I would do this and I would do that. But at the moment, at that time, you don't. You don't do any of that. Mm-hmm. You just are. I was frozen, even though my mind was Jeez. trying to grasp what I was supposed to do, but my body wasn't doing that. All I knew is that I needed to protect myself, and I'm thinking, well, and hiding behind the trees. So I thought, just give it a chance, it'll go away, if that's what it was, right? But it didn't leave. It mm. followed me, and it chased me off. and Like, it was adamant that I was in its place. I did something wrong, and and I just I was convincing myself it was a black pair and it would go away and it's going to be okay, but that did not happen at all. And that's why I needed to get back to the car because the car is a safety place, right? Mm-hmm. Running down further down the road is not going to make the situation any less. For at least that's the way I thought. Like there's no safety in there; it's just the woods and a road. Right? Oh man. And you knew what what um, creatures and animals are on yeah. in that area, yeah. and you knew yeah. what you were hearing yeah. was not normal. Nothing. You couldn't couldn't relate to it, and you know that's it. It just it's like maybe if I seen a UFO, how how do you deal with that if you didn't know what you were looking at? And that's there was not one cog in my mind where that little piece of puzzle would fit in. You know, I tell a lot of people that have experiences and, and just don't know what's going on. And I said, you know, right right from the time we're little babies, we're told what a dog says, what a cat says, what the elephant says, what a horse does, you know, the cow. Right from the little, we know all those sounds because we're taught that is interactions. But nobody teaches you, this is what a Sasquatch sounds like. No. This is not, you know, and and, and it, it, it's almost... It's like terror. Terror is striking through your mind and your your body. Mm. Um, If I didn't go out and make myself understand what was going out there, I think I would be easily a PSPD or whatever. You know, I just I was on that I was on that bubble where I was too terrified to go out by myself, but I I knew I had to push myself that I needed an answer. Absolutely needed an answer. Uh-huh. It, uh, now, and, and, since that time, yeah. have you seen um, those type of structures in, in other areas that you were out yeah. in? Yeah. Yes, I've got a, a, a quite a collection uh, from different um, places that people have had sightings and activity and stuff. And I started taking photos of different the X markers and the little teepees, and sometimes you'll find, um, you know, um, not so much writing on the on the ground, but more more things that has been manipulated 
by hand and not by machine and by hand like it would take 10 people to do that thing mm. mm-hmm. you know i've and and over the years when you start putting all these photos together itemized you start to see that there is a connection there's a connection in bc there's a connection down in tennessee and kentucky and oregon and washington um places i've been all having these same anomalies and almost identical so is it one person running around out in the woods just randomly picking a place that someone is going to find it no there is something going on that that is very ambulatory and very very good and having not front paws but a hand like feature to be able to do this um you know, there's been uh, nest building on, on Vancouver Island the same way. It was made out of ferns, and it was made out of young, uh, like, willow, and it was structured just like a, on the ground in the big hollow, and it would put these these uh, willows in there and then a layer of uh, fern, and then more willows and a layer of fern. And this one nest that i seen, it was under a big fir tree, and the fir tree, the boughs come down and almost covered it, so it was bone dry. And this thing, when I laid in it, it was six and a half feet long and five feet wide, and it was ten and a half inches deep of these ferns. And all these ferns had been laid in there at different periods of time because they went from decay to brown to rusty color to yellow and then fresh green. So it had been repeatedly visited. And um, there was a big scat right at the the foot end of it. And that scat was more than three inches round. And it covered an area that was 12 inches by 12 inches square by 12 inches high. And I'm thinking, yeah. (laughs) And, And the funny thing is, is when I looked around, all this fern, and I brought some home, was that it looked like it had been snapped off but not cleanly like a little fring so it was either chewed off or snapped off with a hand and it was snapped off from the ground about two inches high and then it was thrown in this bed but it was about 50 feet around this entire nest that this was done and right over by a log that was in that 50 foot zone was another little cross marker from a tree that wasn't even in the vicinity it was brought in from somewhere in the diff- in a different area, probably a mile away, and it was put there. Mm-hmm. And, then it, and then that brings back the question, so why is this here, just like all the other photos I've had, and now we have a nest? So that's the kind of research that I was doing in after, is getting more into the field work. And, and, you know, once you can recognize all these things out in the field, the closer you're going to get to see them, to to know they're there and interact. I don't take a camera with me anymore. I don't take any of that stuff anymore because it just doesn't work. You have to yeah. find out where they're where they're at, and then you know if they verbalize. And Vancouver Island is really great for them to do callbacks because I don't think they have. Um, it's it's very vast in some areas. And they choose choose to stay away from populated areas, so they they interact really easy, verbally anyway. And uh, yeah, so. 
um, now I'm, um, you know, I get into the, the hair analysis because I was pretty crippled up there and I couldn't get out into the field as much as I could anymore. So, Thomas, did you have anything you wanted to add to? Well, uh, <laughs> with her encounter, I kind of thought she hit the nail on the head when she said she believes it was interfering. Uh, she got in the way of the hunt, which is kind of what I was thinking, like, deer pop up and suddenly you're in its way and it gets irritated probably chased <laughs> you out of the area and was happy you were out of the area but then you had the unmitigated goal to come back through it again <laughs> <laughs> so it got I mean, mad again oh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah it did yeah, uh, but it, it, it sounded to me like a typical like I've heard so many others in the past that it was just wanted you out of that area yes so I have no doubt that if it wanted to get you, it could have. I yeah. absolutely believe that now. If it wanted to kill me, it would have done it. Yeah. But my question is, was it this isn't it that sparked your interest in the Sasquatch phenomena in the first place? Or were you already interested before? I wasn't really interested before. I I just, you know, when computers first come out, I got one, and I love encyclopedias. So for me... The computer was like, woohoo, look at this encyclopedia. So I was looking mm-hmm. up Jack the Ripper and just silly stuff like that you're not supposed to be interested in, you know. <laughs> and, you know what I mean? And then the Sasquatch came up and I was looking at that. So was there an interest at first? Not really. Just curiosity because I remember um, when I was in school, them finding footprints. And I come from Medicine Hat, Alberta. They found footprints supposedly out at seven persons, which is by uh, right. or 40 mile, Cooley 40 mile. And, mm-hmm. and of course, that was in, in 1963. And I think that was close to the California footprints, right? The, the, yeah, the 19... Gimlin. 73, uh, uh, Medicine Hat, 70, that area, I believe. Was it 70? Yeah. Anyways, I mean, that yeah. was most the interest that most of us was were exposed to. So, mm-hmm. and and if it wasn't for the fact that I seen this Georgia site and actually seen the, the, the tree structures and that, no, I had no interest in it. So, and that's how it just sparked. And because if I would have not had what happened to me, I probably still wouldn't be interested. It was just one of those curious things. But because what happened to me interfered with my personal life, I was being wanting love of the woods. It interfered interfered with me going out hunting with my husband like we always do for moose and stuff up in northern BC. I couldn't. I was too terrified. I was too scared. And because I didn't know what happened, I couldn't, there's no way I could have prepared myself to go out in the woods and be challenged again, and how do you deal with it? Because I didn't know what it was. So if I didn't know what it was, I was just, there's, yeah. You want to know how to fight a bear. You want to know what to do when a cougar's around, so you still go out in the woods armed with some knowledge, and I have Mm -hmm. no knowledge. Zero knowledge. And that's that's what I There's no textbook to tell you how to deal with a Sasquatch, No, mm-hmm. and that was mm-hmm. why I needed that because otherwise I wasn't going forward in life anymore at all, right? It it just bothered my personal life really bad. So I had to deal with this, and that's the only way. Is like if there's something out there, I need this to happen again so I can say, yes, that's what happened to me. Good, now I know. 
now I know what to do, right? right. Or not to do. But it just it it sent me, yeah. I could have went the other way and just hidden my house for the rest of my life, or get back out into life and okay, let's let's see because there's people that do this, right? That's what got me going on this. And then the more interactions right. and, then, and the more things, I'm going, oh, I'm having fun because there's yeah. people with me now. I'm not by myself. <laughs> yeah. And it, it just went from so there. How did you get? How did you get involved with the Olympic project? I met um, a lot of the fellows there, uh, Derek and David, and just most of them through the BFRO, um, going okay. to different expeditions. And and um, I mean, I was in Washington twice a year, and then they started going out on you know in some. Private private outings, so I went with that uh, for a while and get invited down. And I just made sure that I was out in that field all the time, and I went to lots of conferences and just I really put myself out there. I want I needed to know. I had to know. It it wasn't even just a curiosity anymore. It was yeah. my sanity. I I had to know. Mm-hmm. And that and I knew all these people. So when they went to the Olympic project. Um, you know, I went down quite a bit with them and, and, you know, get involved with that because I live close. Vancouver Island and I take the ferry across and I'm I'm right in their doorstep. I'm actually was one of the closest people there to where they go. Wow. <laughs> yeah. But that's that's and now I'm just sorta of on my own. I you know, I, I do my own thing now and and um yeah. So <laughs> now, can, can you tell do us you do your? Uh, go ahead, Thomas. Go, go ahead. Oh, I was going to ask her about the uh, how she got into hair analysis. Mm-hmm. The uh, hair analysis I got into because I find that a lot of people would always, always asking questions like you know when you have an expedition they just don't want to know how to look or how to find or take pictures or you know in, encourage the animal but like what what happens after what happens after that you find stuff or you you know what do you what happens at that point like yeah you found the the golden ticket now what because that part of it never never got dealt with because there was no way to to do anything because course we're crazy and nobody believed us and science the Mm -hmm. science uh, uh, aspect of it was you know non-existent so uh, I I ended up with um, having two knee replacements and I couldn't go out in the field anymore so then I started questioning myself like where do you send DNA and what is in DNA and um, I had studied uh, veterinarian and animal sciences over the years um, had uh, gone to college and stuff, and um, so I went back to the looking at that, and then the microscope, and I was looking at the, you know, hairs. So when I would start studying um, different mammals, I mean, there is so much tons of information out there, and and uh, like microscopic um, photos of just about every kind of animal in the world. And some of these sites have a, a, a vast amount. So when I'm looking at that, I was looking 
like just through again out of curiosity like what does a primate hair look like what does a human hair look like so I had the microscope and everything already from doing other things so that's where I got into it and then I started really studying like the difference between you know horse and cow and cat and dog and human and primate and deer and then on one of the BFRO sites they had supposedly Sasquatch or Bigfoot hair and I'm looking at it and I go well that looks like my hair but then when I put my hair under the thing no it doesn't look at mine like mine and so and this was just a uh, a thing for myself I was just curious I like to teach myself stuff all the time and then um, actually it was um, um, Scott Taylor from the BFRO down in Washington when I was down there at a conference uh, at ocean uh, shore or ocean shores there um, he come and said to me look he said uh, you were talking about hairs and I said yes and he says he brought me this this whole clump of hair and, he, and I'm looking at it and he said this is from uh, one of my clients or customers over here that has Sasquatch that come into their back their house all the time they have a hobby farm and it had animals there and they had uh, an above-ground swimming pool put put in, and it was a big one. But they had the guy there, he filled it up with water, and he's getting the, the filter and stuff, and he was put chemicals in it, and he said, don't go in it tonight. I have to come back tomorrow and test it to make sure it's balanced, because so there's lots of chlorine and all that crap in there, and they said, fine. Well, their history was is that there was a family of Sasquatch that used to come in all the time, and wash the baby and themselves in the creek beside the house. They would see them. And uh, mm. so, anyways, that night they heard the squatch in the backyard but didn't think anything of it, and they thought it was uh, they were just down at the creek. Well, it turns out they were washing the baby in the pool because mm-hmm. the guy came in the next day. He had this whole wad of hair, and he looked at him and he said, I kind of asked you guys not to go in the pool, and we didn't. And he says, well, <laughs> Well, where'd all this hair come from? It was already in the filter, right? And I'm just like, oh, my God. So he brought it to show me. He said, take this and, and look at it and see what you see. And I said, perfect. So that specimen that Scott gave me was my base for my database. And wow. I just went, and that's where I went with it because that was as close as I was going to get to 100%, if that. But it was a sightseeing, it was a known, and that was the only thing that was there that night. And it turned out that all those hairs that I did look, look looked like from different humans, but uh, of, anyways, they looked like human hair, they looked like primate hair together. But the funny thing is there was three different colors. There was jet black, there was buckskin color, and then there was like a mahogany red. And then there was the odd gray hair in there, but they're all around the same same structure. Is you know the the scale patterns and the hair bulb and stuff like that. So when I phoned um, Scott and I said to him, I said I've got the hairs here, and I said it's very curious. So they look like primate, but they look like human. Um, their diameter is not as coarse as what someone would think. They're a little thicker than a human hair, but they're not as coarse as a horse hair or a cow hair. 
I said, it's the colors. I said, I have a short, shorter hair here in black and a whole bunch of them. And then I said, there's some real long ones that are sort of red and gray. And I said, and then there's some that's like buckskin color, like blondie buckskin color. And he laughed. And I said, well, what? And he said, the family that comes down there, the father is an older <laughs> mahogany red, and he's graying. He's got gray hair. And he said the mother looks like a blonde. She's a real light-colored squatch. And the baby they have has got short, black, fuzzy hair. Oh. And I said, okay. So that's that was – so I used that. That's as close as I'm going to get to knowing what scotch hair is and looks like, right? So I, I use that as my hey, comparison. Just have medulla? Pardon? Hello? Did the hair sample have medulla? Uh, the male had very sparse medulla. And, okay. Um, and and it's funny because a human chest hair has a medulla, but it, it's uh, what they call it um, interrupted, so it's not continuous. Correct. And, okay. Yeah, and your arm hair, a man's arm hair does too, but mm-hmm. the head hair doesn't. Okay? okay, your head hair doesn't. A human hair, head hair, does not have a medulla, um, and that's why these other hairs I was kind of confused about because they all look like human except for the black one, the really long, the, not the black one, the the mahogany red one. Um, is that it could have been a chest hair and a head hair like that I had there. Mm-hmm. And uh, and since then, I've had a lot of other hairs coming from a lot of people that I know really well and that I've been working with them on different areas and stuff. Like, like And most of them are BFRO people with David, and I've done you know samples for him that he had done for... Um, uh, England, Oxford University, when they were doing for um, the, the, I can't remember his name off the top of my head right now. When they they put out their you know we'll do free hair analysis and DNA for anybody that had a proposed squatch hair. Well, a lot of people sent him samples, and then two other those people sent me samples after, and okay. my and the samples that I got from them, one of them was identical to the ones in the swimming pool and one wasn't and the one that was identical to the one in the swimming pool he got told it was from a cow a bovine and when I looked at it I said it's not there's too many distinctive characteristics for a species of hair that that is not a cow hair at all that is not it's closer to the human hair so getting into this hair analysis Every species has a different shape of scale on their hair, uh, and a different count of scale on their hair. Uh, the medulla has a different width. It has different uh, patterns in the medulla from a crisscross to a, a ladder to a bubble to a, a straight line. Uh, a, and there's like uh, they call ovid bodies that's in the hair. The more ovid bodies that are closer to the medulla is more chances of being canine. And um, the ones that are further away to the outside of the hair, which is the cuticle, has chances of being bovine or cattle. And um, so there's so many parts, characteristics on a hair 
and I, I go through about 13 of them, and I believe I've done a hair for you as well, Julie, that when you look on yeah. each one of each one of those characteristics is important to rule it out as to what it is. And, Would you agree? Um, Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, okay, Cindy, would you agree that it would be almost impossible for someone to pass human hairs off as possible Sasquatch unless you get an infant that's been allowed to grow his hair and hasn't had his first haircut yet? <laughs> uh, I mean, it seems hair... to me that should the hair ends of a, a creature that's never had a haircut should have a tapered pointy end instead of chopped off. Yeah. No, you can tell. We have. We never have pointy ends again. <laughs> no. Um, and not unless you're, you know, like a, you know, of East Indian origin that keeps your hair wrapped up and stuff, and they don't cut it and stuff. Right. Um, they, you know, but yeah, no, you can tell a human hair right away because one, we use hair products in our hair, so if it's conditioner or if it's hairspray or hair dye. Uh, hair pollutants, if you smoke, all that gets left on your your on the outside of your hair. And under a microscope, it's like blinking red light. You can see it, right? Wow. Yeah, and the, and and it's just you know even if humans have certain diseases, you know of the liver and that, your hair will be striped. Um, there's different anomalies in your hair as you get older. Um, people. Um, when you turn gray, your hair will naturally get thicker. And it's funny that uh, uh, Asian people, uh, their hair ha- has a, a slight medulla through it. Slight. And it's hard to see it because it, it's such a dark hair. But that's always a possibility, right? And and uh, East Indian or Pakistanian people of that um, culture, their hair has a tendency to have a, uh, a medulla that runs through their hair, but it's very um, distinctive. And so, I mean, if you have one of those two uh, type of cultural people running around in the woods, then that would be something I'd have to rule out, right? But I'm just saying right. that, that kind of, it's a hit and a miss, but I'm saying right that there is a really good chance my data database that I've gotten here now for references is pretty close. Like if it's a squatch or an unknown hair, I will say, look, this is a good chance it's unknown. Um, it may be a human, but and then I'll list the reasons why. But if I'm pretty close to saying it's unknown, then I'll tell you it's unknown. And I've got a few there. So it hasn't been a lot. I'm I'm thinking over about three or four hundred samples I've done. I've got maybe four or five that I would say are on pretty close to unknown. I can, I will not wow. say un- absolute because I can't say absolute. I can't say that, but I'm going to say, yeah, there's a good chance that this doesn't fit anything else that I know of at this point. So your chances are really good. And if you decide to get it tested, then this would be a good good sample to test. Right. Now, are All you the more reason, Julia. No. As I told you before, when you grab hairs, keep them. <laughs> yeah, and never put them in plastic. Because no. even never, yeah, right. never plastic paper of any kind. Don't matter. Just or not bleached paper, but carry. You know, 
even a paper, brown paper bag, that's the best thing you can do, mm-hmm. or, or an envelope that's brown, because even the bleached well has chemicals in it that can destroy DNA. And if you happen to be that lucky person that you come across a nest and there's hair in it, you know, and it's got all this other stuff, or it it came to your house and ripped your door off and left a big snag of hair, well, hell, <laughs> right. grab it. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And always use a, a fresh, clean pair of tweezers when you're pulling hair off them. Don't use your hands. Yeah, or, yeah, it, exactly, because you don't know. You don't know when that time's going to happen. Nobody does. And I've had some pretty good right. hairs. I've had some come in, and it was uh, a llama. And yet it was up on the top of the Rocky Mountains, and people hiked up there, but you can barely get up there. And I go, well, big wad of hair. And I said, either they, somebody else carried it up there and lost it, or... There's a llama running around up there, and it turned out that <laughs> prior prior to this guy going up there, they were using llamas as packing their stuff up there. So who would have known, right? Right. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> yeah. So I I enjoy it because it's always a mystery to unwrap. But you know, I've gotten some samples that come from people and as soon as I put it under the light it, it comes out and it's red and blue and I'm going well that isn't even a hair it's it's a synthetic fiber you know like off of somebody's yeah. wool jacket and stuff and I'm going so when I send it back they go no no you must have the wrong thing it's an absolute hair and I said no it's not here's mm-hmm. your photos take a look this is what it looks like underneath the microscope it's totally different colors It's it's been twisted and it's it's flat and it's got perfectly straight edges there isn't a scale on there nothing i said it's 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 synthetic fiber of some sort yeah so <laughs> or the lichens on the tree i get a lot of that the witch's hair coming <laughs> <in>. yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah do you still do that cindy are you still taking hair samples i do just not as as much as i used to i find that um moving I moved up on 15 acres of land here. My husband retired, and I've had quite a few surgeries now. And we love it here. We we are out in the middle of nowhere, and we like it that way. And mm-hmm. I just don't do as much as I used to. And the odd one, like I do for the close, close people, for myself. But I just found that right. I was doing it for everybody. They wanted to know in two days, and I had five to go. And, it, you know, it takes seven days for the mail to get here at the very least. Right. <laughs> so I I wasn't annoyed. I just I just got to the point where it wasn't as important to me as it was to that person. So I'm kind of like, okay, what am I going to do here? So I just finally just sort of slowly pulled away a bit just to right. get on get on with my life here first and get myself situated you know new friends and new you know the family and all that so but i i yeah. still do i just yeah not as is enthralled with it as i was yeah very interesting well i'll tell you um when you when i sent that one hair sample to you i, I saw that hair that was in the barbed wire fence caught in the, the yeah. barbed wire and i was like now that's unusual hair that i had not seen before so that's yeah. why I sent it to you, and when you sent yeah. back your findings, I was completely blown away because you're like, well, that's a bobcat, and I'm like, what? Because they had not been yeah. um, seen in that area of Miami County, Ohio, since 1850. And Isn't that crazy? You, 
Yeah, yeah you were yeah. able to verify that they yeah. were back in the area, and then about nine yeah. months later, somebody from Miami County uh, caught one on a game cam. <laughs> Perfect. Caught the bobcat Perfect. on a game cam. So I know uh, for a fact that you knew what you were talking about. Talking about. I had um, an individual. uh, She's a a great researcher, and she does the petroglass and more of the native stuff. And her and her husband, they sent me a sample. And when I looked at it, I'm going, well, this is not a swatch hair when I opened it up. And when I actually looked at it, it was a raccoon, but it wasn't the the raccoon family. It was actually a subspecies called a ringtail. They call them a ringtail wow. down in down in uh, I think I want to say more Tennessee somewhere. And so I and I said this is what this is. So when I sent it back to them, and, and uh, it was funny when I seen them at the the beach foot um, play, uh, when we have the um, uh, in Oregon, they have the beach foot um, thing for mm-hmm. squatchers and that. She, uh, this lady was there, and, and, and she says, you know, and in all honesty, she says, I sent you a hair knowing what it was. She goes, and I just wanted to see if you knew what you're talking about. And I looked at her. I said, oh, thanks, <laughs> right? And she goes, I just wanted, you know, and it turned out, she says, you nailed it. It, it was a ringtail. It wasn't a raccoon. I go, so well, cool. good. And that was Kathy Strain. So that yeah. was nice. That she said, "That's awesome." From now on, yeah, that you knew what you're talking about, and I trust 100 percent of whatever you, I send you. You, it's going to be correct. And I said, "Thank you," because I said I, I put my my 110 percent into something, and I make sure I get my bases covered. And if I don't know, I will say it. Right? I won't try to say, "Well, you know," and and that's what bothered me about the guy in England. You know the them saying, you know, um, telling this guy he's got bovine hair when, or or mm. ancient polar bear, this other one coming in at, and I go, well, it, it wasn't even a bear hair from California. It was, um, uh, it was from the Jason, um, was it Jason that shot supposedly the Sasquatch down in the Sierras? Mayhall. Right. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. I had a hair sample mm-hmm. from one of the guys that went to that call-out, okay? One of the BFO guys that went to that call-out that lives down in California. I got a hair from, several hairs from him. And he said, this went to Sykes in England. And he said that it was ancient polar bear. And I said, it's not. <laughs> it is wow. not. It's not black. And it wasn't bear hair either. And and it, I said, it, it I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was neither. The two samples that went to Sykes that I also did samples here of were neither close to what they said. And they had professional people at the university doing all their DNA or their hair samples for them. So in in that retrospect, there might have been a lot of Sasquatch samples that were positive that Sykes got, and he told them that they had something else. Wow. So, so he may be sitting on a whole whack of stuff that he's working, you know, undercover or, and I'm saying that because, you know, there, these people, honest people that I know personally send me these samples and they were totally different than what they got from Sykes. And, and under a microscope, a cow hair and a bear hair are very easy to distinguish. Very easy. And if, 
these weren't the same as what I found, then yeah, the question is, how many positive hair samples did he did he get? And he did not. And the thing was, is that he found none. Over a hundred samples, <laughs> and none of them were Sasquatch, right? Yeah. Yeah, there's something weird to that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and and it's funny. It's one of those greed things that in this thing somebody finds something. And they want to keep it all to themselves. We had, you know, that incident with, like, I don't want to say her name, but MK, same thing, right? That all of a sudden right. like, they want they want all the information and they're going to, you know, name it after themselves and whatever and hoard everything because they want to be famous. That's the, that's the last thing that I would want. I'm a team player oh, yeah. and I'm doing this for a reason, and that is... For all the people out there that have interest in what they're doing, they want to know the truth, I'm there to help them. Because that was the part that after you go out and you holler and scream and do knocks and and everything for a Sasquatch, this is what happens after. There's got to be something after. And I'm part of that after. And I'm hoping down the line that if it's hair analysis, then something is going to be DNA. And then maybe there's something else that is going to follow. But... Something has to happen after in order to get the world of Sasquatch or Bigfoot to be noticed. And I'm hoping there's right. people out there that are doing something is what's next, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. I know there's the, yeah. the Olympic project in and of itself is um, yes. trudging yeah. forward in a lot of things as we speak. Yes. So, yeah. you know, that's. It's awesome what they're doing out there, but um, well, we're getting and up it's all on top of the hour here, and um, okay. I just wanted to check with Thomas. Thomas, did you have anything else that you wanted to uh, say before we close the show? I just wanted to say it was great to talk to Cindy again, and I admire what she's been doing with the hair work, and uh, I'm sorry mm-hmm. that she's way up in northern B.C. now, and we basically can't <laughs> get anymore, but... <laughs> oh yeah, it's funny. The stories are coming in here too because I do have my little Sasquatch guy that I, I design and have it on my Jeep, and I run around all over the place with researcher on it with a Sasquatch on it. People are going, "What's that?" Wow. And it always opens up the conversation. Mm-hmm. Is that I have something to tell you? And I said, "Awesome! I'm all ears." So yeah, mm-hmm. I'm <laughs> <up> here too. <laughs> wow. Hmm. <laughs> well, we really appreciate you coming on to the show. Uh, like I said, we had tried different things that had happened over the course oh, of I a know. few weeks here. and um, <laughs> But we finally got it the show, and it was definitely worth the wait. And oh, I just you. want to thank you on behalf of all of the people who do have an interest in this subject for doing what you have done and what you continue to do um, to yes. take this matter you know, serious and to... People that have seen or experienced things like you did that um, are trying to come to terms with it, just, you know, we we really appreciate what you do. Yes, don't hoard the information because someone out there can make use of it somehow, some way, even as a team. If you have a little piece of the puzzle and someone else has a piece of the puzzle, and if it's identical, you're on to something. Right. So That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. And Cindy, I really admire your the facts and never deviate from the facts attitude. Exactly. Absolutely. 
Yep. Well, Cindy, we'd and love to have you. you back on again okay. sometime down the road. It's always a pleasure talking to you. And uh, Thomas, thank you again for coming on to another exciting episode of On the Shoulders of Giants. And, of course, we will uh, bring you another show down the road yep. here, folks. And we do have some interesting people lined up. I'm not going to say names yet, but we do have some really cool, <laughs> fantastic guests like Cindy coming on. So, But I thank you both for uh, having the show tonight with me. And thank you for the invite. Absolutely. It was nice talking All right, to you. So, Bye-bye. Oh, yeah, absolutely. All right. All right, folks. Thanks for tuning in. Roger that. Game.